You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to the Art Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. Today, a spectacular guest, a fellow podcaster that I chased down. I'm going I'm to tell you how I chased him down here in a minute. But I want to welcome Thomas Realstone, who is the host of the History of Aotearoa New Zealand podcast. Hey, welcome, Thomas. G'day. Yeah, thank you for, for inviting me on and chasing me down. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was very nice of you. Yeah, thank you for um, inviting me on and chat, to come chat about animals in New Zealand and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's it, it was it's it's a funny story. So I, I I just ran across your podcast, and you know, as a fellow podcaster, you like to listen to to others and not like give ideas, but I always like to like, oh, is the audio quality good? Is you know, are we comparable and and things like that? And and your your podcast really hooked me quickly. It, mm. it, very well done. Your episode one, two, three superior great job compared to ours ours is me and angie go eh, start episode fifteen twenty with us <laughs> <laughs> but yeah thank you for um for all that praise it is it, it means a lot for you know it, it i guess you know as a podcast you don't tend to get a lot of feedback mm-hmm. from from the audience so <laughs> it's uh, nice when um it's very validating when people are like, hey, I listen to the podcast and I think it's really good. And you're like, oh, thank God. I'm not the only one listening to it. So, yeah, no, it is <laughs> so great. That's nice. It's nice. Yeah. It's really great. It's really great. And it, we're going to get into it today, especially New Zealand. And it, it, what got me about Thomas, just to set this up for our listeners, is not only is it the history of the country, but it, it's natural history because what caught me and I was like, you were talking about, you had a Tuatara episode and, you know, when the Maori came and, and how that impacted the environment and you had just such a different take on it. And mm. I was just like, I need to get this guy on my podcast. I have to. And I, I told Angie, I was like, cause normally we have everybody chasing us down now for, to mm. come on our podcast. I was like, no, I'm, I'm going after Thomas. So thank you for coming on. <laughs> And just to kick this off, can you just kind of give our listeners your background? I mean, obviously, uh, you grew up here in New Zealand, Mm -hmm. but what really, I I guess, growing up, what really drew you into nature? Yeah, so, yeah, so as you say, my podcast is history-based, and it's got this kind of weird natural history kind of kind of bend to it I guess if you want to call it that and that's because um yeah my background is in zoology and genetics specifically um so I if if anyone wants to know the specifics I have a bachelor of science bachelor of science um from the University of Otago um majoring in zoology and minoring in genetics don't know why that was so difficult for me to get out that I've got the thing literally on my wall right here <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes. and I should know that so yeah so I started at the University of Otago doing that which was yeah all about animals and, and that sort of stuff 
Um, but prior to that, I had I'd always liked biology at at high school when I was in Invercargill. I grew up in the deep south, um, New Zealand deep south, not America's deep south. No, 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 they no. are very similar though. Um, in a lot they, of are. Um, <laughs> they are. So, uh, so that's yeah. that's one thing. But yeah, so I when I was in Invercargill and, and when I was at high school, I I did enjoy biology quite a lot, and that's I guess kind of where it started. And then I got to uni. I started out doing genetics as as a major. And then realized, actually, I'm not super good at that because it mm. requires a lot of biochemistry. <laughs> that's, I, I, that's very None hard. of us are. None um, of us are. I found. So yeah. that was that was the only paper I ever failed was biochem. And in my second semester, I did a like a like a really condensed zoology class where they went through all the different phylums and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was it. You just had to remember all the different phylums. <laughs> and... In hindsight, that was actually really horrible. Um, but at the time, I was like, actually, this is really interesting. I really, really like the sound of this. Um, so that's when I switched and I was like, yeah, no, the zoology, th- I think, is my is the thing I want to do. And so that's where it really kicked off is when I when I did that paper and I decided I wanted to continue doing that. And so, yeah, and so then I did that for uni. And then, um, of course, you get to the end of uni and you go, well, what do I do with my life now? Took a year to figure that one out until someone gave me a job in an aquarium, which was in Picton. And I worked there for two years looking after primarily fish, as you might imagine, as an aquarium does. Um, So things like snapper, harpooka, which is groper. Uh, We had carpet sharks, blue cod, um, one trevally, tarakihi, uh, but we also had things like things like starfish and tuatara, which is where I learned a lot about those. Um, we had some red crown kakariki. We also had some yellow crown kakariki, which we bred for Project Janzoon, which is a big project um, in Abel Tasman National Park. And and so I did that for a couple of years. And then um, someone else gave me a job uh, here in Wellington. Um, and I am still currently doing that job, which... I, all I'll say about that is it work. I am in conservation, specifically in trapping. Um, so trying to trap rats and um, possums and stoats and all sorts of other things to try and save the biodiversity that New Zealand has, which is it was a very sort of 180 kind of heel turn of being like, yeah, I'm actively trying to keep animals alive. And now it's like, now I'm actively trying to kill animals to keep other animals alive but actively trying to kill animals. I know, I know. Which is is an interesting twist. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, so that's kind of where I, yeah, where I guess my background in kind of conservation and nature and that sort of stuff comes from. Well, I, I, to be honest, nobody's good at genetics, even the geneticists. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's, it's uh, you know, uh, after doing so many genetic projects and, uh, you know, actually publishing scientific articles on genetics, it, mm. you fall behind so quickly in that field. It, it is such an incredibly fast moving field so don't don't worry about that but i'm glad you found your love <laughs> i did i did finish the minor so that was yeah, something that's good but yeah, i pretty yeah i pretty quickly realized mm, yeah i don't know if i want to do this as like the thing that i like i do um oh. i realized actually animals are pretty cool and i just like i just like animals and learning yeah. about animals and that was and that became my thing so right and that's right. worked out pretty well so far so <laughs> well and it, we're going to talk a lot about this because we're, we're especially going to talk about the impacts of humans on uh, New Zealand. Mm. I guess the first thing we should say is what's Aotearoa because uh people hear that and and they're like okay what does that mean? So Yeah. Yeah, so it's Aotearoa. 
Um, I don't mean to no, bag the, the my accent, American, but uh, it's the American. <laughs> it's all right. Um, yeah, so Aotearoa mean is um, Te Reo Māori, which is the Māori language. So Māori are the indigenous peoples of New Zealand. Um, so they were here first, and they basically Aotearoa is what they, depending on who you ask, was at some point named. Um, was basically the name for New Zealand. And it literally translates to Land of the Long White Cloud, um, which is in reference to a basically the story, the the kind of Māori story of how New Zealand was discovered, which was by Kupe, um, who came over here chasing um, a giant octopus, um, Tafiki, because he was really annoyed at him. And in doing so, he discovered New Zealand. Or I should say, Everyone gives him credit, says mm-hmm, Kupe mm-hmm. discovered New Zealand. It was actually his wife. Um, she was the one who first spotted it. Um, so technically she should get the credit. And that whole thing was about the fact that she spotted a long white cloud above the horizon, which is a common indication that land is underneath it. So you obviously you see the clouds before you before you see the land when you're mm. sailing around on, on boats and stuff. And so she saw that cloud and went, oh, there's land, Aotearoa. We found a, the land of the long white cloud, which is a real thing that uh, Polynesian um, wayfarers and that sort of stuff, and I assume probably European uh, shipmen as well, um, they also use that to to spot land when they're trying mm. to find land and that sort of stuff. So that's all kind of cool and how that it kind of all ties together, um, you know, like a real actual seafaring technique with a story and what New Zealand is named and and that sort of stuff. But yeah, basically it's a, it's the Te Reo Māori name for New Zealand. Yeah. And then New Zealand came from the, New Zealand came yeah. from um a bit later. It was yeah, 1670 something or other. I can't quite remember the exact date. Um but that was Abel Tasman. Um he was a Dutch explorer? Question mark. Yes. Um <laughs> exploiter. Oh, sorry, no. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. It, he worked for the VOD, is basically, which was the um, Dutch East India Company. Um, and he was basically going out to try and find land to, yeah, exploit. The VOD were notorious for, mm-hmm. you know, they, w- they were a company. They wanted to make money. And so he, his job was going out and trying to find places that would have good resources for them to, to use and exploit and sell and all that sort of stuff. So that was kind of what he was up to. And so he came along and he was from, from um, the Netherlands and he saw New Zealand and I don't know if he called it New Zealand at the time. Um, he didn't realize what New Zealand was. He thought New Zealand and Australia were connected to what at the time was known as Terra Australis, um, which was this kind of, weird massive land mass that a lot of european like scientists and scholars thought was kind of on the opposite side of the globe mm-hmm. and what what actually ended up being was antarctica that's they they were right antarctica was around mm-hmm. they were mm-hmm. just very wrong about where it was and how yeah. it was all connected and so he actually thought new zealand was like kind of connected to Terra Australis, which obviously he was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so New Zealand comes from um, his time down here, which um, he named it after, I guess you could call Old Zealand, which is, a, a, I think it's a province in the Netherlands. Yep. So yep. that's kind of where that comes from. It's basically just like, you know, you've got New York. Yeah. Here New we've Orleans, got, yeah. yeah we, and here yeah. we've got New Plymouth. Yes. Um, so it's all... <laughs> 
So it sounds really cool when you're like, oh, New Zealand. Actually, it's just that super dumb naming scheme that Europeans had for a while. Yeah. Of yeah. Just na- just taking a, a name that was already in existence and just adding new, new. in front of it. it yeah, 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 which yeah. is um which I think is as good an argument as any that we should just change it to Aotearoa because <laughs> New Zealand yeah. is kind of boring. It is, it is, it is, it is, it is. <laughs> but it is it is this mystical place that mm. that we're gonna get to. Real quick, you did say papers and for our American audience and others that's a course so when you took a course sorry a paper in, yes. no 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 that's it's probably gonna good. happen a few times throughout no this. it's all good I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to americanize it you know for our audience because i that's something i learned i'm like what's a hex of paper i'm like i wrote papers but yeah yeah, yeah. So, so just to get that out of the way it, no it is it this land is fascinating so you know i feel very very fortunate to 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 live here and call new zealand home it it's just, I don't know. It's just a mystical place. And I beg our audience, you know, I mean, we have many listeners here in New Zealand and in Australia, but uh, you know, those outside of here to come visit, please come visit. Mm. It's just such a beautiful place to visit. It, but what inspired you? Okay. So you're, you're, you're a naturalist. Cause we're going to get into your conservation work mm. and you know, the impacts on the species here, but what inspired you to start a history podcast? Yeah. Which is, I guess a weird combination that I still get, questions yep. about even <laughs> yes. from my workmates yep. Yep. um you know when someone when we hire a new person and you know, go oh g'day my name's thomas how's it going and then they go oh yeah and you kind of get chatting to them about like mm-hmm. what you do outside of work and i go oh yeah so you know i i you know my, my background's in zoology and i do a history podcast in my spare time and they're like weird <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> meet you yeah. know that, that doesn't seem to make sense so so yeah so it's a it's a it's a natural question the I guess it goes. I, I've also had an interest in history for quite some time. I had a fantastic history teacher um, at high school, and arguably, if he wasn't as good as he was, I would not be doing the podcast mm-hmm, at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I, I, yeah, he was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed his classes. And then I went to uni, and I decided I didn't want to do history, partially because every person I talked to said don't do history at uni because you're because the high school teachers classes are so good history will be ruined for you um yeah, because yeah. the the professors at uni will just suck and I was like, him, yeah. okay don't do that then mm-hmm. um so i didn't and then i didn't really do anything history related for quite some time uh as you tend to do at uni you tend to focus on that pretty hard and then after i finished uni i really wanted to Something I've I've just I kind of discovered about myself was I really liked learning just in general. I like I like knowing stuff, mm-hmm. and that's really that's easy to do when you're in high school and you're at uni, and then you get out of uni and you go, okay, now I just I guess I get a job, work for forty years, and then I die, uh, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so I was kind of like, well, I I kind of still want to learn stuff. I could I I don't want to stagnate. So I found I discovered history podcasts. Um, because I was kind of like, I, I want to do history things again. I want to learn things about history that I don't know. Um, and so I discovered history podcasts as a really convenient way of walking to work. I learned something for half an hour or an hour and then, Hey, I've learned something today. That's pretty cool. And so I did that for a few years and that was, that was really good. I discovered a lot of really cool history podcasts, um, some of which I now have like been on and stuff. So that's Mm kind of fun. Mm -hmm. And and I, at some point, I was like, it'd be great to know about New Zealand. You know, I've learned about England, I've learned about France, I've learned about America, and that's fine. Um, but 
it'd be really cool to know some more about New Zealand history. New Zealand history is not something, at least when I was at school, was not something that was taught. And so I went out and was like, sure, someone has got to have had this idea before. Someone has surely seen things like The History of Rome by Mike Duncan, which is uh, generally considered to be the history podcast yeah. that spawned all others. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, someone has got to see, got to have seen that and gone, let's do that for New Zealand. We are a big enough country that's surely out of the four to five-ish million people that we have, mm. someone else has thought of this. Turns out, no. Yeah. Or at least if they had, they hadn't done anything about it. And so I sat around for a, for a year being like, oh, one, you know, well, that's kind of a bit of a bugger. Yeah, and yeah. at one point I just went, well, you know what? Bugger it. I'll do it. If no one else is going to do it, yeah. then I'll do, I'll do it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where that came from was I just, I really liked history, wanted to learn more about New Zealand history and no one else was doing it. So I decided to do it myself, which is still something I occasionally ask, was that a good idea? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do it for love, that's for sure. Yeah, no, yeah. it's, um, yeah, sometimes when you're looking at like everything that you have to cover and you just mm-hmm. go, oh boy, what did I get myself into? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Like after this interview, I need to edit. I need to get it edited. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, not even, it's not even just that stuff. It's yeah. just literally, I remember early on in one of, like quite early on um i decided i was going to just have a flick through i've got like a few books of like general Mm -hmm. new zealand history that goes from basically the start to the end right and so i just had a flick through i was like oh yeah so what kind of things am i going to have to cover and i was like oh my god there is some very there's a lot of it and very complicated and very nuanced and there's a lot going on oh boy this is going to be hard but that's okay. Um, personally, I think nothing ever worth doing was easy. No. So it was kind of like, yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting challenge, I guess, is, is the way I'd describe it. No, yeah, that's how we started. I mean, back in mm. 2017, it was looking at, like, there was no animal really podcast out there. and We were both mm. scientists, and we said, well, you know, let's try it, see what yeah. happens. And then you don't know what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. The same, it's the same for everyone. You know, yeah. every single history podcast that I've talked to, and the one, particularly ones um, that have kind of come to me and like have said, I've listened to your podcast. I want to start my own. It's re- we all go through the same thing mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. going, this will be great. We'll do, I'll cover this event in three episodes and yeah. that'll be it. No Ends way. up taking like 20 yeah, and, yeah. and you've, you've spent half a year on it yeah. and you just, yeah, it's all just, it all just gets blown out, which is, which is great. That's kind of, that's kind of the cool thing. It's, it's nice to be able to, yeah, have lots of. What do you? You're you know, what? Eighty episodes in now. I just, you just eighty-five. One. 85 I think, as yeah. of last week. Yeah, um, I, I'm getting the notifications on my phone now, and I, I got to catch up. I'm, I'm at the beginning, <laughs> and, and you're still like at the beginning almost. Yes, like. yeah. So where I currently am is the the goal was to start before humans arrived, mm-hmm. and the uh, end goal was the year 2000 um, CE. Right, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. To the year two thousand, because you have to draw a cut off at some point, yeah, and yeah. that's where I decided to draw mine because it was a nice round number. Um, basically, no other reason than that, and it was really, really important to me that I talk about Maori um, yes. and what they were up to before Europeans arrived. Although I said before that I didn't have any history sort of teaching when I was at school. That is a slight lie. There was a little bit, but it was all related to people like um, James Cook or the Treaty of Waitangi or that sort of stuff. All really quite important to the history Mm -hmm. of New Zealand, Mm -hmm. but also like 
that that's post European, right? That's when Europeans yeah. have turned up and they're do, they're doing stuff. There wasn't really anything about what Maori were up to prior to Europeans, um, you know, hitting our shores, basically. Yeah. And so that was that was really important to me to cover Maori, their culture, and that sort of stuff, in the sense that like that this is quite unknown knowledge if you're not going to look for it. But also, it's important to the story, um, yeah. in the sense that it's starting from either Abel Tasman or James Cook is really only half the story because you don't know why Māori are responding to Cook in in certain ways unless you have, have kind of got that background. Like one of the first things that happened to Cook was he landed in modern Gisborne and a group of Māori men were giving him a wedo, which is like a, it, it kind of translates to a challenge. They were standing there with their weapons. They were kind of jumping around. They were sticking their tongue out, um, widening their eyes and all this sort of stuff. To most Māori, this would be recognized as a wedo. This would be recognized as a non-hostile challenge, just basically being like, we don't know who you are, but we're going to show off our weapons and our muscles and how strong we are so that if you get the idea that you're going to, going to mess around you know that mm. you're in for some trouble mm. cook's crew did not understand this obviously mm. and so there was an altercation where a couple of people died and and this sort of stuff and so if you don't know why maori were doing that that you, you know it doesn't you know it doesn't really gel together of why cook and maori were responding to each other in the way that they were because they didn't understand each other and that yeah, sort of thing yeah. so Covering Māori was really, really important to me for for that reason, and for you know, it was really it's really under taught and and all that sort of stuff. As well as the fact, it's just interesting. It's just really interesting yeah, about yeah, it is. yeah, what were they doing? How did they survive in a new land? Um, you know, they came from the tropical Pacific, and now they've come to the well, South Pacific. Yeah. It's a lot colder here <laughs> than it is in say like Fiji yeah. or Tahiti, yeah. which is where they think they came from. And so yeah, and so like that's all really interesting as well. Is is kind of the the challenges that they faced in in coming to a place that was very very different to what they were used to mm-hmm. um so yeah so with all that said to answer your question um i'm not even up to abel tasman i'm still in pre-european yeah. kind of maori culture i'm covering yeah. things like yeah like their social kind of structure um things that they were weaving what were they carving which was a big part of mm-hmm. um their culture and like the food what were they eating and and games one of the most recent ones that i've done is like their you know like n- not just things that they were doing to survive but also things like what were they doing for fun um yeah. what kind of games were they playing what kind of board games were they playing um and, and all that sort of stuff so um yeah kind of just covering the culture and what kind of life was like if you were transported sort of 800 to sort of 400 ish years ago what would you know if you were a person living in pre-european new zealand what sort of things would you expect to be doing? Basically, it's fascinating. It, it's it's fascinating. It drew me in, and and it, it, what we're going to start getting into is the impacts on uh, the ecology here, because I've you know I'm listening to the, your your stories about the Maori and the and the, and the different uh, uh, expansion between the North Island, South Island, all that stuff, but how they survived here. You're right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, from personal experience, I moved from Florida in the United States to New Zealand and that was like subtropical hot mm. to absolute freezing winter. <laughs> I yeah. think now I'm used to it. It's it not that bad, but 
you know, how did they do it? What did they eat? So mm. we're going to get to there. We're going to get to there. Yeah. To start off, I guess, to start telling the story, and I've alluded to this to, to some of our podcasts, and, and I talked a little bit about it with our Kakapo that we just uh, did recently. What makes New Zealand so unique? You know, why is our biome so unique here? Yeah, so a lot of it, I guess, um, really comes down to the isolation. Um, New Zealand broke off from Gondwana land and what would become Australia really, really early on. I don't have the specific number here, but it was really early on in comparison to a lot of other, uh, a lot of other kind of land masses in the world. And so there was a very short window between when sort of birds and all sorts of other things could really get from the mainland mass that would eventually become everywhere else and to little New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once it got further enough away, that was it. Basically no, nothing else could get here. It was really, really rare for things to get here. And so it really comes down to the isolation is kind of the main sort of factor there is um, things were, or animals were just so isolated that uh they evolved in very weird and wonderful ways. Um, and it's the same, it's a similar sort of situation with Australia having all these very interesting and weird and exceptionally deadly animals. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, yeah. For some reason, New Zealand didn't go that way. No, no. Um, we don't really have anything that can kill you just by biting you yeah. or, or anything like that, it's, which is much better um, really. But yeah, so th- that's kind of, I guess the crux of it is there's just stuff here that's not really been disturbed for a really long time hasn't really had much migration from other places generally and so that the stuff that hasn't really been able to migrate out or in just kind of sat here and and did weird stuff yeah um and so that's how we end up with things like kakapo which are really stinky you know and that sort of thing and i guess as part of that is we don't have very many mammals we have two slash three um species of bats that's that's the only mammals that we have in New Zealand, um, at least at least native mammals. Native, yeah. And and so that's really weird in most, you know, in the context of most areas. You know, even Australia, our closest sort of neighbour, is just inundated with mammals, has heaps of mammals. Whereas, yeah, New Zealand just has basically three, that's, two yeah. two extinct, one yeah. extinct. Yeah. And so that's really really unique, as well as um, one of the other sort of unique things is all penguin species in the world can be traced back to New Zealand, mm-hmm. um, which is really exciting, which I think you might've mentioned on your little blue penguin. Little blues. Podcast. Yeah. 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 Then we had the giant penguin that was like six feet tall or something. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah, lots of big penguins and, and yeah. that sort of thing, which is, um, yeah, which is where penguins basically came from mm-hmm. is New Zealand, which is kind of a, a fun thing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of, uh, uh, yeah, and I guess the other thing would be a lot of the plants and animals are really, really ancient. As, uh, to call them ancient is not exactly, I realize, scientifically correct. No. But for the lay people, they'll understand what I mean. It's, um, you know, a lot of these species have not changed for a very, very long time. Um, Tuatara is the is the, the kind of poster child of that. Um, but even the plants, a lot of our like podocarps and stuff um, have not changed for a number of millions of years, um, which is, is kind of the, one of the first episodes that I did, I called the land that time forgot Mm -hmm. because kind of New Zealand is kind of like that. At least when you go into those sort of pristine kind of native forests is it is really like stepping back in time 
to you know kind of when the dinosaurs were around yeah yeah there's all these weird big tree phones and and, and that sort of stuff and it, it feels very odd um if you're not kind of you if that's not your backyard then that's that's a weird thing and so yeah so that's kind of also what makes it very interesting is there's a lot of species here that just have not changed at all and some that have changed a lot in lots of weird ways yeah yeah no no it's good it's good it's you captured it perfectly i mean it is that the land that time forgot i mean when you do go on treks and you're walking through and you see all the ferns up in the trees Mm. and you know up on the branches everything grow all the growth up there you really feel like you are in the age of dinosaurs i mean you really do it, it's, it was it's something that my partner who's from north carolina yeah um she said when she first came to new zealand was which was really weird for her was she saw a a big tree fern you know huge tree mm-hmm. fern and and she looked at it and went oh it must be a big tree that's got like a weird sort of parasitic fern on the top and whoever she was with at the time was like oh no no, no that's all one yeah that's that's one organism that's yeah. that's a that's a tree fern it's a tree yeah. that is a fern and she, she was just, her mind was blown. Um, yeah. Just because you don't really get that anywhere else. Um, it's a very, for me, that's really the, the big sort of like, you know, that's what you see in those old kind of um, dinosaur sort of docos, you know, is these mm. big trees that have got these big ferns and stuff. And you, you see these big sort of brontosaurus type things eating from these ferns. Yep. And, yep. and, you know, and that sort of stuff. And, and that to me is like, yeah, no, that's just, yeah, you know, I'll just pop down the road and there's one of them right there, you know? Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Well, and, and I mean, what makes it interesting is is New Zealand was almost like one of the last habitable places for humans. Mm. Uh, for humans, yeah, to it was arrive, the last right? place in the world that human, mm. or the last major landmass that yeah. humans ended up um, kind of colonizing. Maori didn't get here until the sort of mid thirteenth uh, century, mm-hmm. so that's you know that's really late. Um, in comparison to a lot of other areas you know if you think of all the things that are happening in say europe in the 13th century um in the 1200s there's there's a lot you know going on and even in like japan china you know there's 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 heaps going on around the world um in the 13th century when maori are basically just turning up and going yeah this look this is great let's let's live here you know And, and so yeah so it's really it was a really really late um addition to the to the yeah. human human game, if you will. <laughs> well, and it was. And so you had this. So I always liked it when I go out and walk around and I was just trying to imagine, you know, pre-Maori times and just the pristine uh, Aotearoa before. Mm. I'll, I'll say it right. Aotearoa. I'll say it right. I will it's, get there. It's a, it's a hard one. It is. Um, <laughs> which is a lot of people have told me you should try and imagine it if you're trying to speak French. Do the vowels like you're trying to speak French. Oh, God. I, which people, yeah, I've had mixed responses where the people are like, oh, that really helps. And some people are like, that does not help me at all. That's too much to think about. <laughs> I grew I grew up near Mexico. So Spanish <laughs> is, is, yeah. is my second language. It, it, no, so you you know, I walk around it and you just, you just imagine this pristine thing or pristine landmass. And then humans show up and mm. the Maori, I mean, beautiful culture. Please listen to his podcast. It, it really is engrossing. And it, and it's a, it's a part of human history that is fascinating and everybody needs to listen to it. But could we talk about the impact they had? And a lot of it, 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 you know, we say indigenous people, especially coming from the Americas, you know, they, they, they take care of their environment. They respect it. They, it's, it's not this mass European bulldoze and that's mm. all my ancestry, you know, and it, 
and, and you know, I can comment on that. So when the Maori came, they weren't looking to bulldoze the land, but they actually did almost, right? I mean, they had this this huge impact. Yeah. On- so I guess the one kind of, I guess, misconception with a lot of um, a, a lot of human history is what you find is that there's a lot of megafauna in various places. Um, so you're talking like woolly mammoths and giant sloths and all that stuff. Humans discover this place and they start setting up um, settlements and all that sort of stuff. Um, and a few thousand years later, the megafauna's gone because um, that's the obvious food source. And New Zealand is is very much uh, part of that rule is um, people turn up, realize there's a lot of great eating and they really go ham on it and then discover, oh crap, uh, all of that's <laughs> yeah. gone now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the big impact that they had was that the one that everyone talks about is the extinction of the moor, mm-hmm. um, which was New Zealand's megafauna, or at least one species was would be classed as megafauna. Most of the species range from sort of like a large dog to a kind of a cat size. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that everyone, you know, the one that everyone talks about is the one that's like two and a half meters tall and it was like 230 kgs or something. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah it's it's huge. Massive. And that's the one that the Haast Eagle would eat and, and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. So, so that one is, is, was the kind of major or the most obvious and the most famous extinction um, after Māori arrived was they were hunted to extinction, partially just by pure pure hunting, you know, catching them, eating them, that sort of stuff. Um, but also um, they were doing a lot of um, burning of, of forested areas, partially to flush out those moa and the other bird species that they were um, trying to hunt as well. Um, so there were things like adzebill and um, I think, I don't know if they were eating the laughing owl, but the laughing mm. owl also went extinct before Europeans mm. arrived. And that sort of thing. So there was another, I think there was something like 40-ish bird species that went extinct before yeah. Europeans arrived. And they, uh, Māori burned about 40% of um, New Zealand's kind of bush, if you will, again, prior to European arrival. And so, yeah, so, and that, so they were doing that to hunt um, animals, to try and flush them out. Um, you know, grassland is much easier to hunt in than dense forest. Mm-hmm. The other thing that they were doing was they were trying to clear land for uh, kind of quote-unquote farmland. Um, I put that in quotes because it wasn't farms on the kind of scale that you'd see Europeans doing even in the 13th century. Um, but they were using them as as like gardens to grow things like kumara, taro, yams, and uh, aruhe was a big one as well, which is fern root. They weren't growing that specifically, but they were trying to kind of encourage that to grow. And so, yeah, so part of it was was farmland as well. And then there's things like penguins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of those, you were talking about those large um, penguins, they went extinct. I don't know if they, were, they think whether it was purely hunting or whether it was also a combination of a few different things like climate change and stuff. Um, but the hunting certainly didn't help. You know, again, there are large, you know, bird species, but some of them were as tall as a person, you know, mm-hmm. six foot. So, you know, that's, again, an obvious food source. Yeah. As well as uh, things like uh, seals were a big um, food source as well. So you had a lot of, although things like seals and penguins didn't necessarily go extinct entirely like they did with the moor, because they can escape into the water yeah. and that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. You do see like local extinctions in certain areas um, of, you know, we know seals used to exist here. 
they don't anymore because they were hunted to local extinction um, and that sort of stuff. So there was that there was kind of that active um, introduction of or active sorry hunting of of certain animals, and then there was the introduction of things as well. So I talked about like kumara and that sort of thing. They're exotic plants that they brought to New Zealand, and some of them escaped out into the wild, and that has an impact. Yeah, you yeah. know, they also brought kuri, which is the Pacific dog. Um, so they brought dogs for. For hunting, they use them for that, but also, you know, companionship. People like dogs. Um, it's it's been like that forever. Um, it's not just you that you like likes a beagle. Yeah, yeah. you know, everyone liked their <laughs> yeah. dog throughout history. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was that as well. So obviously, you know, introduction of dogs has an impact. And the other one, of course, was the kiori, the Pacific rat, which was unintentional. Obviously, no one brings rats because they like them. But obviously, also that has an impact. Of um, you know, rats are prolific breeders they're really good at exploiting nearly every single niche that's ever existed yeah and so they've they've you know they did a lot of damage as well of of you know as i said before there was a combination of things that probably made the penguins go extinct and that was one of them was the eggs being predated upon by um the pacific rat so kind of with all that said i feel like i should say that although maori did do quite a lot of damage to new zealand it absolutely is dwarfed by the industrial scale that europeans that's the next one so we'll go into that in a minute but just just before anyone is like oh my god like he's really laid into them no that Mm -mm. what maori did is just so small time compared to what europeans were doing when they got here is just insane yeah yeah well and you're talking five six hundred years Before Europeans arrive, yep. and then the European impact has only been what the last hundred and seventy ish years. Yeah, roughly. roughly. Yeah. And, so that's, and there's like, also that. Yeah, there's also the scale, right? Maori had a yeah. lot longer to to kind of hang around and do stuff. Um, Europeans were very industrial. Um, you know, they've achieved in, in terms of habitat destruction. Yeah, they have achieved <laughs> a lot more in a lot less time. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're talking today for what, close to forty something percent of our native birds are. Uh, endangered you know yep. we're heading towards extinction which mm-hmm. out of 400 and something where yep. you know the, the maori did have an impact it was interesting you were talking about that because i was thinking of american indians you know where i grew up and their history and and you're right like that is when the megafauna in north america started disappearing is when yep. the early humans were settling across the plains hunting them driving them off cliffs you know burning the prairie Yep. everything uh to to hunt meat and so humans do have an impact everywhere i was just very surprised like the the, the impact that maori had mm. and it just it's it fa- again your podcast that was the fascinating where i just was like wow wow so i'm really glad we get to talk about that so now let's talk about the, the big boot that mm-hmm. shows up and you can probably tell more stories than, than I can, mm-hmm. uh, you know, learning about the introduction of stoats and rabbits and, mm. and, and why do I have European starlings here and, and, and all these <laughs> birds that I know the specific here. answer to that one, actually. Yeah. Okay. Starlings. So, let's go. Let's go. Um, is- so starlings were introduced because they were, uh, they wanted to use them to eat the insects that were eating crops, the European <laughs> crops. That's why they were brought over specifically. Mm-hmm. And of course, that didn't happen. Um, the starlings, like most other introduced species to New Zealand, realized actually I can get a better meal somewhere else mm-hmm. um, and do something. They, I think they ended up eating some of the crops as well. That was part yeah. of what they decided. You know, what they discovered was yeah, actually this is gonna this is good eating. So they were brought over for I don't want to say a good reason, 
but it was a reason that was much better than most of the others. Mm-hmm. Things like, you, you said like rabbits. Rabbits were brought over, and this is a theme that comes up a lot, is they were brought over because, because the English, who were like sort of the primary um, colonizing group, wanted it New Zealand to feel more like England. They wanted to feel like they were at home, um, which is I found I've always found really strange because a lot of the reason that people came over to New Zealand, like they came to America when, um, when America was being colonized was to get away from, Mm -hmm. from Europe because they didn't like Europe for various reasons. So the first thing they did, they go, yeah, let's bring some rabbits over so we can make it more like the place we just tried to escape. So I never really understood that. Um, so that's why rabbits were brought over and then rabbits were breeding like rabbits, um, and were everywhere. And they started ruining all of the farmland that uh, the Europeans were trying to farm um, by burrowing underneath the ground and and that sort of stuff. So they thought, well, how are we going to solve this? We can't shoot this many rabbits. There's too Mm -hmm. many of them. So they thought, why don't we bring rabbits natural predator, which is stoats? (laughs) They thought, that's a great idea. Let's bring the stoats over. The stoats will eat the rabbits. And then problem solved. This has a number of problems. Um, For starters, they clearly did not understand the idea that every ecosystem has an equilibrium. The stoats aren't going to wipe out the rabbits. Mm -hmm. The stoats will at some point drop that population to a point where their population drops and then the rabbit population will increase because there's less predation. So the stoat population increases. And then it keeps going like that, you know? That's just how that works. So the plan from the get-go was already a crap one. But um, just like the starlings, the stoats kind of learned, actually, there's no point chasing those rabbits, which are very, very difficult to get and very, you know, you have to chase them and they're very fast and all that stuff. Why don't I I go and basically attack the kakapo that is sitting on his uh, on his eggs Mm -hmm. because he can't fight back and he's very easy to kill. And additionally, he's very stinky as I mentioned earlier, because yeah, because the main predators in New Zealand were birds. So things like the Haas seagull, the New Zealand falcon and that kind of stuff. Birds are very good at seeing their eyesight is very good. So if you can hide from visually, you have a better chance of not being eaten. That's why Tuatara sit still all the time is because if you sit still, you know, if you move around, you're more likely to be seen. If you sit still, you're less likely to be seen. And if you've got green skin like you do with the tuatara, that's even better. And so being stinky for the kakapo for millions of years did not matter. No one was trying to sniff them out. Stoats, though, they don't have, or well, actually I don't know what their eyesight's like, but their primary primary form of hunting and tracking things is olfactory, is smell. So if you've got a really stinky kakapo, he's going to smell that right out and he's going to keep chasing you. And the other kind of part of that is, of course, if you are like a tuatara and you stop when you're scared, because if you stop, you're less likely to be seen, the stoat isn't going to care. He's just going to run straight up to you and just go for you. So that, that was the big problem with stoats, was they were they very rapidly kind of... Uh, started going after um, all the native species because they were a lot easier to catch or the eggs were easier to get to or the, the the juveniles were easier to eat, that kind of stuff. So that was the problem with them. Um, then you get into things like uh, trout, um, Canada goose, 
that kind yeah. of stuff. Uh-huh. Game animals, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They brought them over. A deer. Um, moose at some point. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, we'll get into moose in a second. Okay. Okay. So, okay. so those were brought over for game. Um, yeah. Basically straight up just, we like shooting stuff and, and that sort of thing. Ducks, uh, mallard ducks were brought over um, for that sort of reason as well. Um, and trout. Trout were also brought over for that as well. And salmon. Um, salmon were brought over for that reason as well. Um, which is an interesting story about salmon, which I don't know if it's true. Hmm. I've never been able to confirm it, but one of my mates who used to work for the Department of Conservation told me that the only translocation, or the first translocation in the world of salmon that was successful from Alaska was to New Zealand. Oh, wow, and okay. apparently yeah. they tried to do it multiple times to New Zealand and other places in the world. And um, they'd never had the blessing of the indigenous peoples where these uh, salmon were being taken from. Um, and none of those translocations worked. The one time that the indigenous people were brought on board mm-hmm. um, and said, yep, this is cool. We're happy with this. Um, and that sort of stuff. That was the one time that it took. And that <laughs> it was in New Zealand. Yeah. yeah. So again, yeah. don't know if that's true. Yeah, that's yeah. what I've heard. But I thought it was a good story. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The moose. The moose are very interesting because um, that comes from down my way in Invercargill, specifically mm-hmm. Fiordland. Is you know it's the Fiordland moose, and people people swear up and down that they have seen these bloody moose in Fiordland. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. <laughs> and there is no confirmation that moose still exist. It is, from what I can tell, it's, it's kind of this weird cryptid. Thing, you know that people say it's out there out there and it's kind of it's kind of like new zealand's bigfoot almost mm, 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 um mm. we don't know if the moose are still out there i would say from my minimal research that i've seen into it that i've looked into it i think moose probably were brought to new zealand i think somebody tried to introduce them to new zealand and i think that at least at some point moose were in fiordland mm-hmm but I don't think they are anymore. Um, Again, there are people who go out to the Orland for, you know, all sorts of things, tramps and stuff. And they, they swear to God, they've seen moose and, and people are like, yeah, well, moose are pretty big. So like, there's nothing that big in New Zealand that you could really mistake. No, for moose. But, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, with the, everybody's got cell phones now, so, you know, we should yeah, get some exactly. evidence at some point, but yeah. So it's uh so moose is an open question as to yeah. whether they still exist. Um, but personally, I do think they tried. I think yeah. they tried. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. And the other weird cryptid one is the Marlborough Puma. Um, yes. Which yeah, is, I, one, yeah. I think that one's definitely bollocks. I think it's yeah. just a, I think it's just a large, <laughs> a, a black cat, out a there. large black cat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't yeah. think that one's real, but the moose yeah. has a lot of credibility and a lot mm-hmm. of people have looked into it. Um, and tried to kind of figure out if they were actually brought over and stuff. The moose has been looked into quite a bit. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to stick my neck out there and say, probably, yeah, there is, there is enough credible evidence there that I think something, somebody tried to make something happen there. But yeah, that, so that's a weird one. I, I remember that. I remember that. I mean, we, uh, America, you know, Turkey. And I just, you know, I, I go out birding and, uh, and I see California quail, which I'm yep. like, oh, that's from home. Cool. <laughs> you don't belong here. You're yeah. pretty, but you don't yep. belong here, you know? Yeah. And there's all sorts. People have tried to bring all sorts of weird, weird stuff to New Zealand. Um, 
the I think it's the archives Twitter page has mm-hmm. a bunch of sometimes they just post documents that people have have you know uh, sent to the government and letters that people have sent to the government throughout New Zealand's history. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are to do with, yeah, they tried to bring hippos to New Zealand or they tried <laughs> to bring, you know, kangaroos to New Zealand yeah. or whatever. Yeah. People trying to bring really weird and really dumb stuff to New Zealand. Yeah. Nine times out of 10 getting rejected. Um, but it was, for a long time, it was the assimilation society's jobs to organize all of that. That's what their that's what they were doing and the assimilation societies were the kind of precursor to the modern fishing game mm-hmm. um which is the basically the same for your american listeners is basically the same as i think you guys call it fish and wildlife or something yes or fish and wildlife yeah yeah, yeah, fish, yeah yeah so basically the same thing they manage like fishing licenses and and hunting licenses and that kind of stuff and they and so yeah so the assimilation societies their job was to bring over that you know random animals that they thought they could release into the wild yeah. um, for multitude of different reasons and that sort of stuff. And then of course there's the, un- so that was all the purpose ones that they yeah. brought over intentionally. Yes. And then of course you get the ones that they didn't bring over intentionally. Mm-hmm. So we've already talked about Kiori, the Pacific rat. Um, Europeans brought over their own breeds of rats, which was the uh, ship's rat, the black rat and the Norway rat, the brown rat, which uh, are very good at, they're even better than the Kiori at, um, doing their job so the kyoto actually their population went down um because the norway rat and the ship's rat were really like better. really really good mm-hmm. much better than kyoto so they ended up actually out competing them largely so they're obviously a big problem in new zealand now for the same reasons that the kyoto were and wasps wasps is one yeah. that people might not know of but marlborough and nelson has a really big problem mm-hmm. with common wasps and german wasps and they have a really big thing where not only are they horrible and everyone hates them, yeah. um, but also <laughs> yeah. they outcompete again a lot of other species, including Native. bird species like tui. Um, because what happens is um, tui like this little, um, I can't remember if it's off a plant or whether it's off an insect, but there's um, there's a little organism that basically sucks out the sap out of trees. And it has this little like hanger thing that's like a little tube and out the end of this little tube they drop honeydew which is you know very high sugar little syrupy thing and the tui would come along and lick that all up and that was a major food source for them and wasps also really like it and wasps will just go go after it and really really well and so that was a big um that's a big problem that they have with that is um wasps out competing tui which is a Oh. An unusual interaction that I think most people aren't aware of. No, no, yeah. So, so that's a big one as well. Is um, is weird insects that are brought over, you know, things like flies and stuff. Um, yeah. You usually hear about it in terms of like um, horticulture. The kiwi fruit industry always has like a meltdown every time someone finds a a new weird fly in Auckland, and and that's yeah. And so that's also why um, if any one of your listeners has uh, is from overseas and has come to New Zealand. That's why they want to open your bags and they want to yeah. look through everything. And that's yeah. why they're like, you cannot bring your muddy gumboots. We're going to burn mm. them. You know, that sort of stuff. Um, so it's it's not because they're being like dicks. It's because no. if something gets in here, then it's potentially extremely bad, not just yeah. for the environment and conservation and that sort of stuff, but also like a lot of our um, industries 
and exports and stuff, it can be pretty horrific. So, oh, yeah, major so that's impact. why yep. um, New Zealand and Australia have some of the most stringent biosecurity laws in the world, yeah. which was a weird, a bit of a, it was a bit of a, a revelation to me when my partner who has just recently gone back to the States mm. to see family and stuff. And I said, Oh, so like the, you know, is there going to be any problems you bringing some of the stuff? And she's like, no, nah, they don't care. Nah, if I go back to America and I, yeah, like, no. I, <laughs> Come on I, have, I have mud on my shoes or I have yeah, an apple or whatever, care. they don't care. No, and I'm no. like, what? And they're like, no. Nah. And she's like, no, nah, they're just, they don't even care. And I was like, yeah, no, you'd be like, yeah, if you don't declare something in New Zealand, you get slapped with like a hefty fine. Oh, They've even made entire yeah. TV shows about this, um, about border security in New Zealand mm. and Australia mm. because of how stringent our biosecurity is. Oh, they'll pull so, your visa too. They'll pull it real quick. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so they're like they're pretty they're pretty harsh about that, but yeah. for good reason. So yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Well, it, it, right. So what are some of the the stories, uh, the impacts? I mean, we've covered some of the species. You know, we mm. we talked about the the kakapo, we talked about the tuatara, the kiwi. Yeah, you, you know, these species just hanging on, mm. and you've touched upon it, but. I found the Tui one fascinating, and that that is one of our our famous birds here. You, mm-hmm. you hear a Tui call, yep. our dialect, right? They all have different dialects around mm-hmm. the country. Yeah, they're beautiful birds. I love hearing them outside my my home. What are some of the impacts that just happened in the last 150 years? Yeah, so I, I mean the the big one is um, I guess habitat destruction. Um, as I said before. Um, Europeans were and still are very good at it, mm-hmm. um, which is not something to be proud of. Um, it's yeah, Europeans were and, and still are have this industrial approach to 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 basically economics and that sort of stuff, where you know no resource goes unexploited, and so a lot of it came from timber. You know, native trees were very good for. Um, you know, they were very popular in building, you know, houses and um, furniture and exporting them to other countries that wanted our cool wood, a lot of hardwoods and things that um, were very, very hard to find, particularly because in a lot of cases for, for England, for example, a lot of their large oak trees that are hundreds and hundreds of years old had all been cut down in the last few hundred years because they were used to build big sailing ships. Mm-hmm. And New Zealand, of course, had, we had our own big, big hundred more you know several hundred year old trees Mm -hmm. and they were all cut down to build yeah houses and export it and all that sort of stuff um so that was a big one and then there was things like yeah like mining as well was a really big one um there was a gold rush in otago in the 18 started in the 1860s um so that was a big thing as well and of course things like coal um when that was uh, you know there's a few coal mines on the west coast of the south island and that sort of stuff. Um, so a lot of it is, is habitat destruction. There's also the the, the cultural destruction as well of Māori mm-hmm. was uh, it was a huge thing as well um, in terms of like social, cultural, economic for them as well. You know, religious. Today on Māori, the Māori language was suppressed under the Tahonga Suppression Act of 1921, I think it was, which is basically just you're not allowed to be Māori in public. Um, you're not allowed to use today in schools. There was a lot of um, land that was stolen through war and conquest and that kind of stuff. Um, dodgy dealings as well. Um, very, very common to get Māori drunk and then try to 
make them uh, do a deal to sell their land for um, not very much at all. And then there were things like the musket wars, which was intertribal conflicts due to muskets being introduced to New Zealand, um, which was a bit of a joke for some Europeans for a long time. Um, they thought, wow, this is kind of funny. And they realized, uh, actually, this is quite bad because Māori are kind of annihilating each other and mm-hmm. we're kind of doing nothing about it and we're kind of partly at fault because we keep selling them guns. Yep, yep. Um, so that was a big thing as well. Then there was the New Zealand wars, aforementioned land stolen. And the the kingitanga, um, the Māori king movement, um, Māori basically realized that if they wanted to deal with the queen, which was Queen Victoria at the time, they needed someone who was on equal footing, equal status. So they elevated one of their own to become king, which is a whole complex story in and of itself. Because I say they, they as an all Māori, not yeah. all Māori agreed no. to it, not yeah, all yeah. iwi tribes agreed to it, yeah. but it was a big thing. And so there's that as well, um, is a lot of the cultural stuff with Māori. And it's only really been in the last sort of even 20 or 30 years that a lot of that stuff was coming back. It's only really since um, sort of the 90s and sort of the 80s, um, a lot of this kind of kind of Māori cultural revival is going on with, you know, uh, last year they put through a law that said Matariki, the Māori New Year, um, is now a public holiday, um, which this year is going to be the first year that that's actually a reality, which is amazing. Um, For obviously cultural reasons, but also we get a day off. Um, No no one can complain at a day off. Um, So so there's a lot of that as well. So... um, so a lot of, you know, there was a lot of environmental destruction, a lot of habitat destruction, yeah. to say nothing of things like dams as well. That's a big problem. New Zealand really likes to talk about how a lot of our, a lot of our electricity is renewable, um, which for dams is not necessarily false, but they're really, really bad for blocking streams, fish, which for yeah. migratory fish, um, particularly tuna, which is eels, which is very confusing if you're talking about tuna, the big fish which we call kingfish in new zealand Mm -hmm. um they you know they migrate up the the rivers and now there's in some cases there's these huge big pieces of concrete in the way and that's a big problem so yeah especially in the south island where 98 i think percent of south island's electricity is made by dams you know so it's like a big it's like a big thing and so that's that's a big problem as well is is how we generate our electricity uh even with like uh, there's a lot of work being done at the moment on how wind farms affect things, you know, basically the environment of where they're they're being set up and where they're being built. The jury's still kind of out on that one as to whether they're actually good or bad. So yeah, so I guess I guess to kind of round that off yeah. is um, New Zealand. It's very very common for New Zealand to have this clean green image of we're so amazing and we've got all this conservation stuff and it's all going great. Not to say it's all going bad. But also, New Zealand is not should not be put on the pedestal that that a lot of uh, that a lot of marketing would have you believe. Yeah, um, well, you know, you know <laughs> to, get, to be fair, to be fair, I, it, it's true. We do have our challenges. Like, hmm. you know, I was at my son's soccer game. We just started our football uh, season here, but last year they're burning coal. You know, hmm. uh, in Huntley. Yep. You know, it, yep. it's ten percent. I think of our power last year came from coal. So, yep. We definitely have our challenges, but compared to, you know, back home in the States where, you know, it's yeah. still a lot of, you know, fracking and, and a lot of stuff that's yep. going on there. And, and I will say like, uh, 
they're awful, but the paper straws. Mm. <laughs> we, me and my son the other day went to a movie and, and we had paper straws and he was complaining. And I'm like, well, you know, at least they're not plastic. Yeah, exactly. So we, we're leading the way in some ways. But it, what I do want to, because we're already out almost at an hour. What are we doing right here? Because things changed, right? It, mm. it, it's it was dark. It, it, it's you know, I just watched the movie Cousins on Netflix. If mm-hmm. if you haven't seen that, you know, uh, some of the, what the the Maori have suffered, uh, you know, like African Americans in the states have suffered. Mm. Uh, things have changed, and yep. we are trying, especially to be green here, like you've said, yep. you know, some green energy. What I really want to drill down to, and, and, and maybe just you know, five or ten minutes to talk about this. What are we doing to save our species? Because we just talked about the Kakapo, the island strategy. You were telling mm-hmm. me when we spoke a couple weeks ago, um, his name, and, and I was looking for him, yep. who came up with that. So maybe you can talk about that. Like, like what are we doing right that we can export around the world yeah, to help so New endangered Zealand, species? Yeah. yeah, so New Zealand is, and, and has for a long time, been exporting our... Um, dare I say it, pioneering techniques mm-hmm. in um, in conservation and um, species management and that kind of stuff. Um, it is not uncommon that I have heard from people um, who have said that, you know, they've, they've worked overseas and when they tell conservationists overseas, like they put on their CV, I did conservation in New Zealand, that that is considered very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for, you know, a lot of people say actually that's, that you know that is some top tier cutting edge stuff so there is a lot of stuff that we're doing um richard henry is the guy that you're thinking of um he was a guy who is kind of kind of considered to be the father of new zealand conservation um a lot of the techniques that department of conservation use were kind of if not invented but were refined by him um so using dogs to sniff out to sniff out animals uh, from he used it to sniff out kakapo is is a big technique that is used now. For example, they've changed they've kind of changed it up a little bit now. Where Predator Free Rellington has recently contracted the services of I think it's a Jack Russell who is trained to sniff out rats mm-hmm. and rat nests and stuff. Um, so you know they've 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 kind of taken that that a, a little step further and instead of looking for the things we want to pick up and protect they're looking for the things they want to get rid of and the areas that they should target. Um, so that's really cool. Um, the one, the main thing he's really known for though is Island translocations. Yeah. Um, so yeah. he worked on um, resolution Island, uh, which is a big Island down in Fiordland, which is on the Southwest coast of the South Island. And he took uh, animals from resolution and some of the surrounding area he took a kakapo specifically, and he took them to Pigeon Island, which was a smaller island just off the coast of Resolution. And he put them in a little pen uh, made of punga trees, and he basically tried to stop rats and stoats and all sorts of other things trying to get at them. And he, um, if you go down there, you can still see the remains of that little pen, mm-hmm. um, which is really, really exciting. And so that's what he he did. And he was... Broadly speaking, pretty successful um, for um, the early, I think it was the early 20th century, late 19th, early 20th century, he was doing this stuff. And he was generally pretty successful, given everything that he was dealing with at the time. So that was that was kind of the start, I guess, of, of what ended up being like a lot of what Doc does, you know, they, 
Kākāpōa now translocated to all sorts of different places. Yeah. Um, Fenua Codfish Island is mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the main one that they get translocated to. Um, Kākāpō, the Kākāpō recovery program has now kind of extended beyond that to doing like managing genetics and stuff, which is like insane. Yeah, um, yeah. And and so there's a lot of that sort of stuff. There's also moving lots of other animals. Uh, Tuatara is probably the other big one. They're extinct on the mainland in the wild. You can still find them in places like Zealandia and that yeah, sort of stuff, yeah, but yeah. they're mostly extinct. Um, they're only found on offshore islands. Um, Stevens Island is probably one that's the most famous, um, but there's also the Brothers, Brothers Islands, um, which are just north of the Marlborough Sounds. If you go on the Inter-Islander across the Cook Strait, um, you can see them pretty easily. To call them islands is probably uh, probably a bit much. They're just a, f- a few rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have a particular subspecies of tuatara on them, which are very, very rare. And so, yeah, so that's uh, translocations is a big, big part of that, um, taking things from um, other islands, putting them on mainland islands, which is things like Zealandia, which got big predator-proof fences, and then hopefully trying to introduce them back into the wild yeah, yeah. Um, is kind of the end goal there. Um, apart from that, other things, um, as I said earlier at the start, trapping is the big one that I am involved with in my day job. Um, so there's a lot of effort in trying to put out traps and catch rats, catch stoats, catch possums, um, which were introduced for the fur trade, which I didn't mention earlier. You know, and basically trying to get rid of those and also poisons um, using things like 1080 is the most popular one or Brodificum is also a popular one for possums. Very, very controversial. Um, a lot of people are against it for heaps of different reasons. Poison is basically if you're dropping poison into the wild, generally not a super good idea. No, no. It's not something that's super good for the environment, but it's very effective and very cheap. And so there's a, yeah, so there's, Unfortunately, not great alternatives to those at the moment. Trapping is unfortunately labor intensive. Um, You have to be able to get out to those areas where you want to to trap. And um, depending on what kind of trap you've got, you have to reset them every couple of weeks and that sort of stuff. But there's a lot of kind of to that end. The government is, is putting in a lot of money into new technologies. So some of them are things like biodegradable single-use traps um, that can be dropped from a helicopter. Some of them are things like AI that can be Mm. used to recognize on cameras like when there's a possum on screen because at the moment they just have to, you know, it's it's a motion sensor camera, right? If a leaf moves, it starts recording and someone has to go through all that footage. Yep. The hope is that you they'll be able to develop this AI to... Uh, recognize that's a possum on screen real person should look at this that's just a leaf don't bother with that so it's even just stuff like that is really really interesting to to how we might get better at doing conservation even if it's not you know it's not directly trying to to um get rid of introduced predators but it's it's helping us getting to be more effective at doing that well, it, it does work. I, I mm. you know, since I've started this podcast and, and that's, you know, the moving to New Zealand was what kicked me into high gear to start our podcast. And I remember walking, you know, talking to Angie about this from Florida where I walk outside and it is a chorus of insects mm. and birds and, you know, birds and insects mainly, you know, some animals. Yep. And then going through parts of New Zealand where it's just dead, no mm. insects, barely any birds, 
It's just, it, it seems like a yep. dead biome. Then where I go to areas like Parangia near where I live, uh, I love Sanctuary Mountain. It's another predator-proof area. Mm. And it's alive. It, the, yep. the, the, the biome is alive. There's a lot of birds. I see some insects. It's it's thriving. So this, this strategy works. It's controversial, yep. but it works. And unfortunately for the introduced mammals or, or predators, you know, it, they're devastating. You know, they're absolutely devastating to the body. Yeah, it's a it's a weird thing in my mm-hmm. line of work mm-hmm. where people will send me pictures of dead rats and go, "Yeah, I got yeah, I one." Know. I know, and it, yeah. it, it it it's a bit grim um, in general, but it is also a bit sort of um, when I talk to other people about it and be like, "Oh, it's really exciting. We kill rats," and they're like, "Oh no, that's kind of yeah, not really into that." So yeah. it is a um, I don't want people to think that I revel in the death of animals. No, I certainly no, no, don't. No, no. Um, but it is it is a necessary evil. Unfortunately, it is. Um, we get a lot of people that ask, you know, like you shouldn't be doing this. You should just let the rats, you know, be out in nature. And the fact of the matter is, it's the rats or it's the birds. Yeah. We have we cannot have both. We have to pick one. Um, we have chosen the birds because they were naturally here. They were already here. It was our fault that the the rats came over. So we, we're trying to get rid of them, basically. So it's uh, um, yeah. So it's not something that anyone really necessarily wants to do, but it's something that we have to do if we want to preserve those, you know, the birds and the insects and the reptiles and, and the fish and and all that sort of stuff. So that's a uh, um. So yeah, so that's a big thing. But yeah, there's a lot of work being done in those areas. Um, basically, the idea, the ultimate goal that the government has set was predator-free 2050. They want yeah. to be predator-free by the year 2050. There are some caveats to that. Um, what they mean by predator-free is uh, rats, mustelids, and possums are no longer on New Zealand, which is a very lofty goal in and of itself. Um, there are something like 40 million possums out in New Zealand's bush, um, which to put that into context is about 10 times the human population. Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't know we lot. had that many. <laughs> yeah. So that, to be fair, that's a, that's probably, that statistic yeah. is a few years old now. Yeah. Um, so it might not be accurate, but that's, that's roughly, roughly what we're looking at. All right, all right. And of course, and Stoats probably is roughly the same. Rats is probably double, even maybe triple that. Um, so, you know, and so that's the goal is to be predator free. Um, there are still things like cats, um, household cats. Mm-hmm. New Zealand has the highest um, cat ownership per capita in the world. And they go out and they hunt birds, native birds and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's not, it's not a, I guess you could say it's not totally what they're saying it is. Yeah. It's not yeah. predator free. We're not predator free we're not going to be predator free by 2050 in that respect and if i'm being 100 percent totally honest i think what you're probably going to find is that 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 goal of even getting rid of those three species is going to be very tough is very difficult and what is most likely going to happen is the government in the at the time of 2050 are probably just going to move the goalposts and say we did it when actually they did not achieve the goal that they originally set um in saying that, that's not, um, you know, it, you always see nature docos and they're always really depressing. Um, that's not <laughs> to say that um, some good work is not being done. Yeah. A lot of community groups are doing some really fantastic work, kind of to your point about, yeah. um, you know, going out into areas where there's lots of birdsong and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
and I have the privilege of being able to work with a lot of community groups, you know, just people, neighbors that have banded together and said, we're going to make, we're going to protect our little yes, bit yeah, of forest. Yep, yep, yep. And they say, you know, first year we didn't hear anything. Um, even like six months to a year later, after we started um, trapping rats and stoats and possums and whatever else, we started hearing Tui and we started hearing um, Kaka or we started hearing um, Kōkako, bellbirds, if they're really lucky, um, and, and that sort of stuff. You know, they start hearing things. They start seeing fantails and and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of really cool work um, being done in um, with community groups because, unfortunately, the Department of Conservation does not have enough money to do all this stuff. I know, I know. Um, so they have started relying on community groups to kind of help them and do it for them. And they're so doing it. And they're if, doing it. Yeah, and they definitely are. Yeah. But I think if there's anything that I would stress to people, not just in New Zealand, but all across the world, if you have a, if you want to get involved in this kind of stuff, if you want to try and do your bit for conservation or the environment or whatever, find a local community group. Find a group of people that are doing something that you're interested in. Um, doesn't have to be with animals. Um, there's a lot of groups out there that are just doing weeding on for New Zealand, like things like gorse and old man's beard. Mm -hmm. um, there's entire groups that just do that. It's really crap work, but someone has to do it. And a lot of the time, I know a lot of people when they go out and they volunteer their time for these groups, they what generally happens is the volunteers get burnt out really quickly. These people these community groups rip through volunteers like nothing else because a lot of people don't really realize what's required, the effort that is necessary to maintain these track networks, to maintain this weeding program and that kind of stuff. So my advice would be if you want to get involved with these community groups, one, know what you're getting yourself into. It's going to be hard work. But also, even if you can't offer your hands and physically doing manual labor, you know, you, for whatever reason, you may not be able or may not be capable of doing that kind of work. That's totally fine. These people, these groups also need all sorts of skill sets. They need treasurers. They need planners. They need people who can organize, who can do logistics. Um, they need people who can market for them, you know, that, that are good at social media, you know, they need that kind of stuff. So just because you, you know, can't get involved in the manual labor doesn't mean you can't be helpful. Right. Um, so that's something that I would stress is a lot of people think volunteering means manual labor. Voluntary also means you can use your brain if you're not very good with your hands, which like me, I'm not very good with my hands, <laughs> yeah. but my brain seems to do, do okay. Yeah, yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, so that's a, that's a big thing as well. Yeah. Um, but another thing you can do if you, you don't even want to get involved with the group directly is these people also need money. And by that, I mean, don't you don't have to donate money. We're all poor. There's a cost of living crisis going on. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Your bosses are really rich, though. Yeah, um, no. I can almost <laughs> guarantee that. <laughs> yeah. um, so try and convince your bosses. Um, try and convince um, the people that you work for to sponsor these people. If it's not through monetary means, through the donation of, um, of gear, through the donation of you know, sponsoring maybe competitions or raffles or, you know, goods and services. Um, things like, um, not that many people will work for helicopter companies, but, you know, a lot of um, helicopter companies in the South Island offer their services for free to um, groups that want to get out into remote areas, you know, and that's a good thing that they do. Um, there's a group, uh, there's a company in the, uh, in Fiordland that do boat tours throughout um, Fiordland 
and they offer a lot of um, time and money to use of that boat for conservation purposes. So again, just because you can't get involved directly doesn't mean you can't hit up your boss and be yeah. like, hey, do you want to maybe sponsor this thing that could be really good? Um, particularly if you spin it in such a way that it's like, this will look really good Yeah, it's good uh, PR. for you. Yeah, it's, good. it's really <laughs> so, good PR. It's really good um, PR. So that's so that I guess is the takeaway is that I've yeah. I, I know I've been particularly negative. Um, no, for a no, lot not of really. This, no, it's, it's it's a reality <laughs> check too, though. I mean, it, it's uh, we we do our best to be positive, you know, yeah. and, and tell yeah. the good stories. And you know, playing devil's advocate, New Zealand is doing a lot of good. But you're right, like like I said, I was out there smelling the the coal burning behind me, yeah. going, "What is this?" You know, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, been definitely. years since it's... I've 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 smelt that. It, it, but it is. You make a great point. I think that's a that's a great way to end this discussion today. Mm-hmm. I, I think we should do Andy and I in the next year. We'll do Australian possum and have you back, and we could talk about them. Yeah, the possum <laughs> is an interesting yeah, one. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a there's. I wrote a whole bunch of stuff. I knew this was going to happen. I wrote yeah. a whole bunch of stuff, and we haven't gone over it. No, so that's no okay. It's fascinating. Um, though, I yeah. talk a lot. Um, no, it's great. It's so, so yeah. Great. So I yeah. mean, if if yeah, if, if there's anything else you want to know, yeah, yeah. about that kind of stuff, more than happy to come on because there's a lot, there's a lot going on in New Zealand conservation. Yeah. There's a lot going on with um, yeah, species recovery and that sort of stuff. Yeah, we'll have to have New you Zealand. back on. I don't want to. Will, yeah. I don't want to get people down. It is there is good news. There is, um, but, but we it, definitely it, yeah, we can't have the good news without the bad news. So. Yeah. Well, I told you I just moved, and I yeah, I literally had lived in this place for two years, and I just heard a tui for the first time. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago outside yeah. my window, I had not heard one in two years at the gardens here. I, I hear them all the time, but they're obviously pushing out. Yeah, and that's a areas. that's a yeah. big thing. Is kind of yeah. 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, tui, and at least in Wellington, which is where I live basically unheard of in the middle of the city yeah now i can't walk down the street with the bloody things yelling yeah, I know. At me, so <laughs> well so final, that's really good yeah final question you know the the history of aterora new zealand podcast mm-hmm. subscribe download it 20 25 minute episodes they're easy to digest i'm like oh my god it's already over and i gotta quickly download the next one <laughs> yeah it is it, yeah it's a trade-off um no it's great say, though it's people quick. like yeah. the 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 short yeah sort of thing so that's that's um so that's worked but yeah it does i have had a few people that are like i really want them to be longer because i want more and it's oh, like it's fascinating uh, Which is good. that's a good thing that's a good thing it's a good yeah. thing uh, where can our listeners learn more about you your podcast or any social media you'd like to mention yeah so i'm on most social media i'm on um twitter at history Aotearoa, um instagram history of Aotearoa new zealand podcast um facebook history of Aotearoa new zealand podcast um, and my website is history, uh, uh, com. So that's got all the podcast episodes on it. And of course you can find the podcast. If, if you're listening to this, you've probably already yeah, got no. some sort of podcatcher. So yeah. just use that. Um, whatever that is, I'll be on it. Probably if I'm not flick me an email or at me on Twitter or whatever, I'll, I'll go talk to them and tell them to put me on there. Um, but yeah, I'm in most places. Yeah, as you said, sort of roughly 20-minute episodes of um, New Zealand history, mostly at the moment pre-European Māori. Um, so if that's something that you're interested in, um, there's a, there's nearly 80-something episodes on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few episodes on um, various other things. Uh, by the time this comes out, um, I will have started or just about be starting a big 
series on Spates, which is a beer brand in New Zealand, the history oh, yeah, of Spates, yeah. okay. and what they were up to and all about. And that covers a lot of things like prohibition in New Zealand, um, women's suffrage, um, and, and cross sex with a lot of interesting places in New Zealand. So that's, I guess, I'm, I'm taking a bit of a break at the moment from pre-European Maori yeah. society to do that because I had a I had a stroke of inspiration and just went for it. So, um, so yeah. So if that's something that you're into, if you're interested in New Zealand, New Zealand's history, what's going on, and you're interested in it having a uh, a, a conservation or natural history slant. Um, yeah, my podcast, History of Aotearoa New Zealand, might be something that you're interested in. I highly recommend it. I d- absolutely do. It, it, it's fascinating to talk to you, Thomas. I cannot wait to get down to Wellington. Or if you come up my way, we, we definitely would go uh, have a beer a, a, mm. or something and uh, get some coffee and, and chat more. But thank you so much for coming on. Thomas Realstone, History of Aotearoa New Zealand podcast. Fascinating talk. Obviously, this one went long. I, I could have gone for another hour easily. Yeah, I, I had a lot <laughs> so, more notes. So um, we'll do it again. If we there's demand, will, maybe yeah. we'll do another one. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. But cheers, uh, cheers, and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. It was great.